Uh, this is Sandy and Mai's last Sunday for three months. We are going on sabbatical uh, for three months, and uh, this was something that our staff um, suggested, offered to us back uh, late last year. Uh, it has not, um, it's not been something that we have, uh, we've talked about because it hasn't been time to talk about it. Um, but today is, so uh, this is the last time you will see us until September. And um, so I had to drum today so I could get that itch scratched. And, and uh, I've got about two hours of material here to get it all out. Uh, what will we be doing? We'll be traveling to different churches. We'll be uh, enjoying a, 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 a refreshing time of uh, respite and uh, Sabbath for us. And um, so we covet your prayers while we're out. We have a strong preaching team that uh, is part of the staff here, part of our leadership. And um, common question that I often get uh, about this time of year because... Uh, Sandy typically preaches on Sun on Mother's Day. Uh, then women's conference is right after that. Last last week we had Savannah Lindell, one of our our speakers for the conference, speak. Uh, we are an Assemblies of God church. That's the church denomination, um, and and the the Assemblies of God uh, offers or or gives an an enormous amount of authority to each church. We are an autonomous church. Even though we are affiliated with the Assemblies of God, we are our own corporation, have our own constitution and bylaws. And uh, the Assemblies of God uh, grants to the pastor and leadership of the church uh, authority to make uh, most decisions. And um, we voluntarily affiliate with the Assemblies of God. Then we, um, um, we have a... a, a part of our constitution and bylaws. If you've been through Growth Track, you would know this, I'm sure, by memory. Uh, there are tenets of faith, foundations of faith that we agree to as our doctrine statement. But outside of that, we're given a lot of latitude. Um, I am the pastor of this church, and I do have the authority. Uh, I have the authority of this pulpit. Um, I have the authority also to assign that authority uh, on any given Sunday to uh, someone who I uh, believe has uh, a word from the Lord or has the authority also to preach from God's word. And um, so uh, that's, that would be a, uh, just a very Cliff Notes version of, so who gets to preach here and, and how come they do and how about this and so forth. Um, ultimately, the responsibility rolls up to me. I will answer for it. Uh, I take that very seriously, but uh, I also hold it loosely as well because it's authority that's given to me uh, not only by the assembles of God, but uh, not something that I weaponize at all, but I do believe that the Lord has given uh, that authority to me as well. And so uh, if you have questions about, hey, how come uh, whoever is up here speaking, I can tell you that it is uh, it has... Uh, come from uh, it. That authority has come through me uh, on on any given Sunday. I will not be asking for any questions. So there we go. <laughs> no life group training today. Uh, typically, that's fourth Sunday of the month, and uh, we will not be having it today. We'll pick it back up next month. Matthew chapter five. Let's get back into God's word. 
Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> takes us weeks to get through to verse 17, and we will finish the entire chapter today. So as I said, I have about two hours of material. This week, while addressing the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Orlando, Florida, on Thursday, Franklin Graham, the son of Billy Graham, issued a major warning about persecution against Christians in America. He warned the audience of Christian media organizations and, and ministry leaders to be prepared for the coming storm against Christians. He said, I believe that there is a coming storm that we all need to be ready for. The world has deteriorated so quickly, it seems like every demon in hell has been turned loose. We cannot be deceived and we cannot be fooled. We need to get ready and be prepared. He went on to say that if you don't preach the gospel, you don't have anything to worry about. If you're not going to talk about sin, you don't have anything to worry about. But if you're going to try to preach and proclaim the gospel, then they're going to try to shut you up. But, he said, Christian communicators are not called by God to keep, are called, pardon me, are called by God to keep telling the gospel message the way it is, no matter what may happen. When you try to tell a person they're a sinner, it's offensive. When you tell someone that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no way to heaven or God except through him, you offend people. Graham continued, just tell it the way it is. Preach. Don't back up. Don't make excuses, he said. We cannot back up. We can't retreat. Don't apologize for the gospel. Just declare it. Just preach it. That's what we're called to do. That's what Jesus did. We get a glimpse of this, as we continue here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, while calling out sin, though, goes beyond the action straight to the heart of the matter, because that's where sin comes from. Sin comes from the heart. Throughout the rest of this chapter, Jesus separates what I refer to as the letter of the law and the spirit of the law in doing so, and he gets to the root of the problem Beginning with verse 17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. In this opening statement here, Jesus sets the table for his ministry and his calling. Yes, he is our great high priest. His blood was shed. It is our new covenant. 
but Jesus didn't replace the law. He didn't replace the law. He says it right here. And just in case you're on the fence of his tithing, really, you know, didn't he abolish? Just so you know, he didn't. This does support still contributing your first fruits. But this statement also gives us the direction as followers of Jesus Christ. It gives me the direction as the pastor of a local church. It gives us, Mill City Church, the direction of the local church. Notice he says, whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. As Pastor Graham said on Thursday, just tell it the way it is. As a man... I prefer to just be told the truth. Let me deal with it. Don't candy coat it. Don't dance around issues because I can tell when you're dancing around issues. If you just give it to me straight, let me figure it out. And so that's what we do. The truth is, though, in our humanity, we really don't want to hear it. It's like you said, when you tell somebody they're a sinner, they, that's offensive. If you tell somebody they're wrong, I mean, who really, who in here likes to hear when you've done something wrong? Nobody likes that. At a minimum, we want to know where the line is, though, right? Where's the line? I mean, what really is sin, after all? What can I get away with is really the question that they're asking. But look at verse 20. I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is a really heavy bat for these people. Jesus is swinging. Because the most righteous people in this culture, perceived by this culture, were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So in this opening statement, Jesus essentially sets an unattainable bar in their minds because he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of those who you believe are the most righteous in your culture, you will certainly not, he says. I mean, this is like, whoa. And then he finishes this passage in verse 48. Look at what he says in verse 48. Just be perfect. You know, like God, just be perfect. Oh, got it. You want to enter the kingdom of heaven? All you have to do is be perfect like God. Let's move on. So what are you supposed to do with this? Um, Before we get into that, let's answer some questions because we all want to know where the line is. How close can I get? without feedback. We worked all the bugs out. I can get all the way up to here without feedback, but here is the line right here. It's actually gray area. This is the gray area where I may or may not get rained on. (laughs) This will probably be gone when I get back. Jesus gives us some examples for clarity here. Verse 21, you've heard it said to the people long ago, 
you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. <clears throat> so in keeping with this concept, letter of the law, spirit of the law, the letter of the law is do not murder. Do not murder. For our society, that really isn't important enough to teach in the public school system, but I digress. But truth is, it's a good cornerstone to life, isn't it? You should not murder another person. But Jesus goes from the letter to the spirit. Where does sin come from? The heart. Murder begins in the heart. Um, so he raises the bar. He says, listen, if you're angry with someone, you've just entered the highway that leads to murder. Sin leads to judgment. He gives another example. Anyone who says to someone else, Raka, has also started that process. Now, I can honestly tell you I have never said Raka to anyone. <laughs> it's actually not an English word. It's an uh, Aramaic word that means a it's a contentious word. And I can tell you, I've said some raucous things to people. I've thought worse things than I've said. And so have you. <clears throat> so I mean, that's, the, that's, that's the concept here. It's the letter of the law, spirit of the law. I mean, you can murder somebody and you'll face judgment. But the truth is, it starts at the heart. It starts, here's the root. Let's get to the root of the he goes on to give some practical advice. Therefore, verse 23, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way or else your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the, the officer and you may be thrown into prison, truly, I tell you, you're not going to get out until you pay the last penny. So what does that mean to you and me? Listen, if you harbor wrongs, if you stew on past hurts, anger leads to bitterness, bitterness needs, leads to rage, rage leads to murder. It's the highway. And you might say, well, I've never murdered anyone. How about your marriage? How about your relationships? Because you can murder your marriage. You can murder your relationships with siblings, with friends, with coworkers. You don't have to get them to the place where they can no longer fog a mirror. You can destroy things. Forgiveness and reconciliation leads to life and freedom. I set before you 
blessing and curses, life and death. Choose life. He gives us another example, verse 27. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Again, letter of the law, spirit of the law. Letter of the law says, do not commit adultery. Spirit of the law says, you've already done it in your heart when you look with lustful eyes. You've already committed the sin in your heart. Now, I find it interesting that Jesus gives a very extreme example for practical advice here. If you have that kind of a problem, cut your eye out. Just lop off your hand. And I don't believe that Jesus is speaking in literal terms here. Um, he's speaking in what we refer to as hyperbole. There's a vocabulary word for us today. <laughs> hyperbole is an exaggeration to make a point. Now, if you look at something and then you gouge your eyes out, in your brain, you've already taken a picture of it, so gouging your eyes out is not going to remove it from your mind. God created us, Jesus the creator God, he knows that better than you and I do. So this is not, he's not saying gouge your eyes out. He's not saying lop off your hands. What he's saying is, how far do you have to go to get sin removed from your life? As far as it takes. Whatever it takes is what you need to be willing to do to separate from sin. I know, but they're my friend. But you don't realize he was the best man at my wedding. Yeah, but this. Yeah, but that. Yeah, but stop it. If it's causing you to sin, stop breaking the law. I mean, this is not over. It's not that I don't like you. It's not that Jesus hates you. It's that he loves you too much to not tell you the truth. That's hard. It's hard for us to accept. It's offensive to our culture, but that doesn't make it wrong. That's the problem with our pins and needles. I mean, we eggshells can't say it because I don't want to offend anybody. You know, get over it. I can do it. I can offend you all day long. It's actually kind of fun. <laughs> Choose your battles, though. <laughs> know your calling. Let's move on. Verse 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, divorce was very common in this culture, and by that I mean um, it was a big deal. It was very, very common. Uh, only the husband had the right to, to do it, though. Sadly, 
Um, they were able to do it over some of the silliest things. Burning the dinner was rights for divorce. Walking so briskly, turning in such a way that the dress went up and showed the ankles, that was grounds for divorce. Infertility, an inability to conceive, and of course they did not have the ability to determine was it the man or the woman. They just assumed it was the woman. That was the way it was in this culture. Our culture today is rivaling the culture of the day, except it's given the weapon to both the man and the woman to justify. But this scripture is not here to justify divorce. Now, this is not a message on divorce. If you'd like to to find that, it is on our website. I've preached on it many times. Um, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but I'm going to tell you two things about divorce. One, God hates divorce. Malachi chapter 2, verse 16 I hate divorce. And here's what he says about divorce. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. Gentlemen, it's a word that you need to hear. Now, there's many people in this, in this congregation that are, have been divorced. You are married today, and we praise God for his redemptive power, for his grace and his mercy. If you are married today, lock and load. Second, while adultery may be allowed as grounds for divorce, it is not permission. It is not permission. Look at this exchange in Mark chapter 10. Some Pharisees came to test Jesus and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Ha, 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 we've got you. Jesus says, well, what did Moses say? That's exactly what they wanted to hear. Well, Moses said, we are permitted to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus says, it's because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. There is an allowance for divorce in the case of adultery, but I would stop short of saying it is permissive. There's a difference. It's allowed, but I do not believe that that God gives permission for that. That is not God's plan. In this life, you will have trouble. That's the truth. The things of this life are temporal. That's the truth. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are eternal, though. You need to set your heart on things above. You need to set your mind on things above. For you died. And your life is now hidden in Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father. Where is divorce rooted? It is rooted in the heart. Moses gave the law. Why? Because their hearts were hard. Murder, adultery, divorce, big sin, 
And while you may not be struggling with any of those, sin doesn't end there. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Just quoted the first part of it. Verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these things in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Don't lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self with its old practices, you've put on the new self, you are being renewed. How? In the knowledge of your creator. You're being renewed. You are being renewed. You can't take off that old self. Keep putting on that new self. Talk about the shoes, right? I got a pair of shoes in, in the year 2020. Um, I've never had shoes squeak. That, that I ever remember it until I got these shoes, those, those Stan Smith Adidas. And I mean, you, you could hear me coming down the hall. Squeak, 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 squeak. I could not figure it out. What is the deal with these squeaky shoes? And then I wore them enough to where they stopped squeaking. So you didn't hear me coming. That's not unlike putting on your new self. It doesn't feel right. Why? Because it's not who you were. But it is who you are. And so keep wearing them. Keep putting on the new, because that's what we're called to do. Keep putting on the new self. It's being renewed in your knowledge of him. It can be easier, easier to put aside big sins. It's understandable. But perfection doesn't stop with quitting big sins. Did you realize that? Jesus said, be perfect. And so he keeps digging. Verse 33, again, you've heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven for that's God's throne, or by earth, for that's God's footstool, or by Jerusalem, because that's God's city. And don't swear by your head, because you can't even make your hair white or gray or black. All you need to say is yes or no. Anything other than that is demonic. So what, is this, what does that mean to you and me? Keep your word. This is, and this is deeper than just don't lie, but that's included. Don't lie. Don't embellish your stories to make yourself look better. Nobody cares. Don't lie about other people. Don't slander people. Don't stab people in the back. Don't scheme. At the same time, keep your word. The truth is, your word should be enough, right? In other words, you shouldn't need to swear by it. You shouldn't need to invoke the name of God to prove that you're going to keep your word. No, perfection means yes means yes and no means no. That's just, that's really all you got to say. 
It's not that difficult. Anybody live up to that standard? Me neither. Well, how are you dealing with the fence? Verse 38. You've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anybody slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. I'm sure they're not talking about football players here. I think he's talking about the, these cheeks here. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand them your coat. If anybody forces you to go to one mile, go two. Give to anyone who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Let me ask you this. Are you the one that always has to get even? Are you the one that carries that chip on your shoulder just, just waiting? I dare you to touch it. Are you the victim in your life? Are you that guy that everybody's out to get? Let me move on before somebody stands up and walks out. Verse 43. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He causes the rain to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are Are not even tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than anybody else? Don't the pagans do that? Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. See the pattern? The law was written to define right and wrong. Jesus did not come to take that away. Right is still right. Wrong is still wrong. Society and culture wants to remove that. Remove the Ten Commandments, for example. Why? Because humanity is born into death. Sin entered through one man. Romans chapter 5 says this, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. I mean, these are just a few examples. Big, little, everything in between. This is really kind of a catch-all sermon. You can fill in the gaps with what your gravitational pull is, but the truth is, no one's perfect. He, He bookends the thing, right? Unless your righteousness surpasses, you can't. So just be perfect. Verse 18 says, however, 
just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. This entire passage, verses 17 to 48, is given to show us we can never attain the perfection, the perfect mark. We all fall short of God's glory, his perfection, and at the same time, it positions him as the only answer. We can never measure up because even though the law says don't murder, I know all of you have that at least one or hundred people that you just can't stand. And if you could get away with it, I guarantee you, you'd give it all you got to murder them. And you know it's true, and I know it's true, because I got my list too. Fortunately, I don't see them in here. <laughs> They've left already. They left a few years ago. <clears throat> Worship team can come. The message of the gospel isn't just that we're all sinners. That isn't the good news. That's the bad news. But how many know the good news is only as good as the bad news is bad? The good news is that we don't have to attain perfection because Jesus already did it for us. In the opening passage of the Gospel of John, John actually kind of writes about this in his own way. In verse 9, he says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did, who do receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, not of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. That's why the phrase in John chapter 3, and Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. He's like, what is born again? How can I do that? I can't enter my mother's womb again. No, he's not talking. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about a physical birth, not born of water, but born of the spirit. You see, Jesus came and did fulfill the law to perfection. And then he laid down that life of perfection voluntarily. And on the third day, he rose again, overcoming death, hell, and the grave 
And this says, if you choose to believe, you put your confident trust. I'm I am choosing to believe. I don't understand it all. I don't have all it all worked out. That I got questions on my mind. But the those, hey, you got to put that in the hands of the Lord. You can't have it all figured out. Faith means trusting without all the answers. I'm choosing to put my confident trust. I'm going to stake my eternity. I'm going to stake my future. I'm going to stake everything on this plan that God has put out before me. He has, he has said, this is what I've done for you. Will you choose to just take me at my word? And you say yes. Then there's something supernatural that happens. It's, it's a miracle. It's a it's a spiritual, supernatural miracle that opens your spiritual eyes because until you make that decision to put your trust in him, your, your, your spiritual eyes are blind. That's why the, the word of God is foolishness to people that don't believe. But when you choose to believe, God opens your eyes and all of a sudden, things begin to make sense. Oh, it is better to give than receive. Oh, I am heaping burning coals on their head when I choose to love them in spite of their persecution. Oh, it is better to forgive than take vengeance. Oh, that does make sense. It's the upside down kingdom mentality that said, this is right. And then God begins to write his word on your heart so that your obedience starts to make sense even. Your choices are different. Hmm. Verse 16 says, out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come from Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. The truth is, the kingdom of heaven belongs to the pure in heart. We saw that several weeks ago. But none of us are pure in heart. The humanity is in, it corrupt in heart. Grace is this. Jesus fulfilled the law. He offers that to us. It's a free gift. Until you receive it, it stands ready for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word that you teach us that you love us in spite of our unfaithfulness. You are faithful. I got to pray uh, across this room as, as we have an opportunity just to marinate on this for a few moments. Pray that we would Embrace this truth. Heads bowed and eyes closed. The, the concept of this, of this passage here in Matthew chapter 5 is not to condemn you and put you in a hopeless state. As I said, it is, it is designed to tell you, to prove to you your need for a savior. You and I can never measure up. Christians aren't better 
than non-Christians. We're all in the same boat. I'd say that a, a true born-again believer recognize, recognizes their hopelessness without God. And perhaps you've been hurt by a Christian in the past or a pastor in the past or a ministry, something where you just, you felt like you couldn't measure up. And you were left in a state of, of hopelessness. And then you saw the imperfection of those people who, who tried to tell you that you were corrupt and you, it didn't make sense to you. And I'm sorry for that. But the truth is this. There is only one way to the kingdom of heaven. There's only one door. And God loves you so much that he's got you right here, right now, to share this word of grace and truth. I'd like to give you an opportunity if you're here today, you've never given your heart to the Lord or, or in, a, in a moment of truth, you can honestly acknowledge I'm, I'm not where, my relationship with God is not where I want it to be. I'll tell you just one prayer away from renewal, redemption, I just like to pray for you. If there's anybody here today, you can just lift your hand and, and acknowledge that. Thank you. That's awesome. Anybody else? Thank you. Praise God. service. Heavenly Father, God, you see these that have responded, whatever's going on. Um, your spirit is alive and is, is working today. God, we desperately need you. We need your forgiveness. We need your redemption. If that, if that was you, you raised your hand or, or you, you didn't, you know you need to. I would just encourage you. But you can just, you can pray a prayer right where you are. It can be in your own words, but, but I'll just kind of walk you through it. You can say something like this. Dear God, Lord, you know where I am right now spiritually. Whatever that is that's between you and the Lord, you can make an acknowledgement of that personally. God, I've done this. God, you know where my faults are. I know them all too well. And God, I'm asking for your forgiveness today. 
Your word says you forgive me if I confess my sins. And so, God, I'm confessing to you where I'm at right now. I ask for your forgiveness. I thank you for your grace. God, I accept your forgiveness in Jesus' name. Open my spiritual eyes. Write your word on my heart, Lord. Help me as I walk. Come alongside me, Lord. In Jesus' name. I would encourage you to find somebody, if that's, if that's you. Find somebody today. Maybe before you even leave today. Maybe somebody that's going to come up beside you. Introduce themselves to you. One of the greatest lies of the enemy is that now that you've committed your life to the Lord, that's all you need. Let me tell you, that's a huge lie. We're not built to do life alone. We need each other. That's why God created the church, one of the reasons. So as we close the service today, I just want to encourage you, praise God for his faithfulness. Let's sing together.